0: Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, to set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in DC, we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. As i would mentioned before, my name is Pastor Chewy and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. And uh, just so you'll know, Chewy is not my name it's my nickname. I know some of you are like, what kind of name is that? Um, so this is my nickname, and it's a nickname that is given to the people who are named Jesus, which is Jesus in Spanish, in Mexico. And um, so I'm from Mexico. Uh, I have a wife who's from uh, El Salvador. Well, she was born in America, but she was uh, she, she was born to uh, El Salvadorian parents. I have four children, uh, that's who I am. I am a pastor here. I'm the associate pastor, and I'm I'm glad to see you and I get to preach the word this morning to us and uh, we are in our series of the book of Micah and this is week number three so we're taking one chapter at a time and so today we're going to be in Micah chapter three and I am very very excited to preach this text this morning but before I do that let's go ahead and pray and ask God for his help. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and I pray that today as we dive into your word uh, to learn from it, I pray that your spirit will help us. I pray for supernatural help uh, for each one of us. I pray that we would be transformed uh, by the preaching and through your word and I pray that uh, your word will confront us, will also comfort us and bring us to you i pray that overall your name will be glorified and people will be saved through it in the name of christ i pray amen so our text today is a um interesting text and, and one that i uh, been trying to understand better uh, uh, in the previous weeks and it's a it's a text that it's very uh, personal to me and i will tell you why in a few minutes, but let's let's go ahead and, and read it, and we're going to be in Micah chapter three. And just so uh, you remember, Micah is preaching and confronting the sin of Jerusalem, which is the the capital city of the kingdom of Israel in this uh, uh, the Judah in the, in the south, and also to Jew, uh, to Israel, uh, who is the capital. I mean, there's a kingdom of the north, whose capital was Samaria. So Micah is rebuking the people uh, because they rebelled against God. And this is another rebuke against the people of God through Micah. Verse 1 says, And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace! When they have something to eat but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination the Sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them the seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame they shall all cover the lips for there is no answer from God but as for me I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests Each for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the reason why this text is very uh, personal for me it's because uh, I was raised in a context in which abuse of leadership was the norm. I was raised in Mexico, and I was, and I am still very familiar with the abuse, the abuses that happen not only from our government, but also from the church. Carla and I, my wife and I, are both pastor's kids and we have enjoyed the many great things of church life and ministry. And in fact, we met uh, each other uh, trying to train for ministry. That's how I met my wife in, in a Christian school. And even today, we, we live to serve God. And, and, if, and if you already know and if you don't, we're now going to plant a church from Redemption Hill into the north in the northwest part of the city to continue to serve the people of god so we we are still very much involved in ministry but at the same time uh, because we are both pastor's kids we have seen and lived some of the ugliest things that church or that happen in church and in my case the reason why i'm a pastor's kid is not by uh, by design or because my dad planned it, but it was because of the failure of a pastor who abused his power and stole everything from a church. Um, Just briefly, my dad was an elder of a church that began in 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 my house. And the church eventually uh, it started as a community group uh, from a larger church that sent a, a pastor to our house to begin that community group. And the church grew to the point that was sent out as a church. And uh, my dad became an elder at this, at this church that started in my house. And uh, the church grew. And eventually we bought a property in Mexico City. People uh, were donating stuff. I remember a family even donated a car. People donated jewelry to, for the building campaign. And, and, and the, the, the building uh, was bought. And the church went on for a while. And uh, one, one day, uh, news broke that the pastor had an affair with a young girl in the church. And things turned very ugly very quickly. And that Sunday, uh, people showed up. To the church only to find out that the church was completely locked all the locks were changed and that's the last time they saw this pastor everything inside of the church was under his name the church was under his name and he literally stole everything from that church so the the people looked up to my dad and said what are we gonna do and my dad was the only elder So he was left to care for all these people that stayed. And my dad began a church from scratch that still goes on today. And that's how I became a pastor's kid, because my dad was basically thrown into the pastorship or the pastorate because of somebody who failed and abused his power. And today's message addresses or this text addresses the abuse of leaders. Not only in the church, but also in the government. And let me begin by by saying that through this text, I believe that we can learn that Micah, first of all, teaches that leaders have a high responsibility before God. Being a leader in the church or in society is not something to, to be taken lightly. We see in this text that the, the, the way or the harsh way that God deals with, with the abuse perpetrated by the people in authority. And it is precisely because God holds them to a higher standard that he deals with them very harshly. And we are told even in James chapter 3 that we should not even try to be teachers in the church because those who want to teach, those who want to have authority in the, in, in, in the church will be judged with greater strictness. God has appoint, appoint, appointed leaders in different areas of life in order to help those under them, not to take advantage of them under them. And God makes them responsible for the people that they have. God has established parents as leaders in the home to be a blessing and to serve the, the children under them. And, and as parents, we will give an account before God for our children. In this text, we see that God established priests and prophets. We could, be, we could uh, probably parallel that with pastors and teachers today. To be, blessing, to be a blessing to, to people in the church and uh, to people under their care. And pastors are responsible for the people that God has put under them. And we will also give an account according to Hebrews 13. And the same applies for the people in government. The people in government will also give an account before God for what they're doing with their power. Romans 13, in fact, reminds us that our authorities, and, and Romans 13 talks about people and authority in our society, are ministers of God, people who serve the people of God and the people at large. And this chapter, chapter 3 of Micah, confronts three leaders specifically we see this in verse 11 heads or rulers priests and prophets so the first group that uh, they are addressed in verse one is the people in government they're called called rulers or heads and in those days there were kings judah and israel they each had Kings. In fact, we have a a record of who was the king because in the Bible we have actually two books that chronicle the books of uh, the kings of Israel. Kings were the authorities placed by God to rule the people in order to care for for and protect them. They were entrusted to bring justice to bear in their society. God wanted and still wants to use rulers and people in government to bring justice to the people. And in the Old Testament, God places limitations to ensure that these people, specifically kings, bring justice and do not abuse their people. In fact, we have a chapter in Deuteronomy verse uh, 17, verses 14 to 20, in which kings are commanded to do certain things and prohibited to do certain things. And some of the things that kings needed to remember is number one, they needed to be chosen by God. So kings were not to be placed uh, or they could not Choose themselves if they were gonna be kings. They were to be chosen by God. Number two, they 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 shouldn't or they were prohibited from acquiring a great number of horses for themselves. Number three, they were not allowed to take many wives. Number four, they were not allowed to accumulate large amounts of large amounts of silver or gold. And this was precisely to prevent the abuse of their power. Argentina theologian Stephen Bath. Commenting on this text in Deuteronomy says, Why these limitations? Because in this way the king will learn to fear God, to follow his word and precepts, and therefore not consider himself better than his brothers. These limitations are established so that the king who has power will not take advantage of his people or oppress them because he considers himself above them. And this is not only in the, in, the, in the Old Testament or exclusive to kings. The second group of people that Micah addresses are prophets and priests. Prophets were people like Micah, like Isaiah, like Amos, like uh, uh, all, all of these prophets, Ezekiel. And prophets were people appointed by God to speak on behalf of Him. Their preaching or their rebuke or their teaching, had the purpose of bringing people to obey or to live rightly before God. These were the prophets. And Micah is rebuking the prophets as well. And the third group of people are the priests. Priests were also appointed by God to mediate between God and His people. They mediated in order to rectify the people's relationship with God through sacrifices and rituals. And all of this happened in the context of the temple in those days. So these last two groups, prophets and priests, we're, uh, we could be say that are the church leaders of today. And we are also given clear limitations and qualifications in texts like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, Titus 1 in order to allow those people to exercise their authority correctly and, um, and actually avoid abuse. And these qualifications are also given in the New Testament for all of us today. Some of these qualifications have to do with how pastors use money or if they, they will be disqualified, if they misuse money. The way leaders or pastors manage their family. That it actually talks about their character and their, their ability to control themselves. We are required, pastors, to be not easily angered and to be kind. Someone, who, or We are required to be hospitable, meaning that we use our possession to bless others. So these, these, these qualifications are, again, God's way of ensuring that we do not abuse our power and that we actually give from what we have given for the people. And in this text, all of these people, the kings, the prophets, and the priests, had the responsibility to care for the people. And God established parameters to make sure that they did their work correctly and avoid abuses. And again... God desires and appoints these leaders to impart justice to the people under their care. They have a high responsibility before God. And the responsibility they have is to impart justice. As defined in verse 9 of this chapter that states, if we look at it the opposite, make crooked all that is straight. Justice is to make straight all that is crooked. That's what verse 9 tells us. But Micah shows us that despite leaders having a high responsibility before God, some of these leaders fail and abuse their authority. Micah, in fact, details how this, the leaders of Israel were behaving during this time. And, and um, we are told that specifically that the authorities in government were doing horrible things. And the language of this text is pretty intense they hated good and evil. They loved evil. They exploited the people. They benefited from, from the people at, their, at the expenses of their suffering. Look at the language that it's used in verse 2 and 3 to describe what these uh, authorities in government, these kings, were doing to the people. They tear their skin from off the people, they flesh people from off their bones. They eat their flesh. They flay their skin from off of them. They break their bones. They chop them up like meat in a pot. This is, this is maybe, and I was trying to, 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 to think, when the first time I read this, this, this sounded about right to me. If you, if you think this is a language that is extreme or, or, or a little radical, I, I, I would disagree. I've, I've actually seen, the, seen this and heard of this. Let me just give you an example that made me cringe. A few years ago, a, a Mexican politician stole funds destined to help children with cancer. They were supposed to provide chemotherapy treatments for kids. And they filled bags with distilled water and faked giving treatments to kids for cancer. So they distributed the treatments and they were just bags with distilled water in them. And they stole millions of dollars doing it. I don't know what you feel when you hear that, but it sounds exactly what Micah is describing. These people are tearing the skin off of others. Thankfully, this man was arrested and is now in jail, but this is not typical. In my context, where I grew up, when these guys do things like this, often they're not even caught. And I believe this is what's happening in Israel. And the worst thing is that I just give you an example of someone who's not a believer, but Micah is denouncing the people of God, abusing the people of God. These are the kings that God appointed, abusing the people of God. And those abuses continue to happen today. And instead of bringing justice to our society, and instead of making things that are crooked, straight, they many times abuse people just for their own benefit, for their personal gain. Look at what these heads, these rulers were doing in verse 11. They were, they were giving judgment for a bribe. They were charging people to impart justice to them. And this was not only the people in, in authority of, of government. The priests and the prophets were doing the same thing. Verse 11 continues to say that priests were teaching for a price. And prophets were practicing divination for money. These people were abusing their authority and they were using people and destroying people's lives for the sake of their own benefit. They turned their duties into a business. They were charging people to speak on behalf of God and to teach them about God. And this is something that we also see today. Did you hear of the pastor who was raising funds to buy his own private jet? Or the ones who use their authority to enhance their own platforms and popularity. The problem of abuse of power of leadership is not new to us. Leaders have been doing this for thousands of years. And God continues to respond in the same way and we will see this in a few minutes. But before I continue, before I finish this point, I would like to point out of how these people, how these leaders respond. As they are confronted with their sin of abuse. And it's very similar to what the people did in, in the last chapter. Look at what look at what this verse says, Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Even after they were confronted with their sin, they still believe that God was with them because of their position of authority. And maybe because of their success as well. We see this in, in verse 10, that these leaders were building cities and they were, they were doing great things. They were building cities. They, they built Zion with blood and they, they built Jerusalem with iniquity. We could probably say that some of these leaders were successful according to human standards or the world standards. And maybe their success made them blind to their sin. And this is something that usually happens. And we, we see it this today. We see this today. Some authorities, some leaders, especially in the church, think that because their ministry is doing well, and because they're growing, and because their platform is platform is being enhanced, God that, that they take that as a sign that God is approving of them. And that is not the way it's done. Growth, numbers, human success are never a metric for God's approval of anything you do. Leaders who abuse their authority will be punished even if they believe that God is with them. Even if they lean on the Lord and say, isn't God in the midst of us? Look at what's happening around us. No disaster will come to us. People who build their ministries, people who build their their platforms with blood and iniquity will be punished by God. These abusive leaders were doing this and God was not approving of them. He was constantly rebuking them and condemning their actions. And this is something we continue to see. In churches today. Probably the worst thing that these churches, church leaders, or or uh, specifically church leaders, were doing is that uh, verse 5 tells us that the prophets, verse 5 says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, they lead the people astray. They were leading God's people astray. They were causing people to get far from God. And Jesus has no nice words to people who made others stumble. In fact, have you ever read this verse? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You know that verse is repeated three times, one time in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these peoples, th- these prophets, were doing this very thing, causing people to astray from God. And they, they actually led people to idolatry. So I want to make sure you understand that abuse of authority is a very serious thing before God. And I know this text doesn't explicitly address the full spectrum of abuse that is perpetrated in society or in church today. But I'm sure that God hates and punishes all kinds of abuse and injustices from all kinds of leaders. So I want to make sure I repeat my third point again. God hates abuse and punishes abusive leaders. This is something we've been saying from chapter one. God hates our sin. God punishes our sin. Last week we talked about God hating oppression and punishing oppression. Now God hates abuse and punishes abusive leaders. And there's no doubt about this. The consequences of abuse in this text are that God will not listen to their prayers. God will hide His face from them. God will bring darkness upon them. God will bring disgrace and shame upon them. And lastly, God will bring destruction upon them and upon their work. God actively acts upon, against the leaders who abuse their authority, either in society or in the church. And God stands against them in favor of the abuse and the victim. So today, I want to make sure that you hear this if you are a victim of abuse if you have ever been abused or you've been in a situation when where some leader abused their authority and that impacted you I want to make sure you hear that if you've been wronged by an abusive leader in the church or outside of the church Maybe a public servant abused his power, a cop, or I don't know who else. I want to make sure you hear that God is watching and he hates the abuse and that that abuser will not go unpunished by God. We have a God who is just and we have a God that is the defender of those who have been abused. And we have a God that promises to intervene on our behalf. We have a God who says that he will avenge us. Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 is the first time we we see this verse that is repeated constantly throughout scripture. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity it is, is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So you can rest assured that our God is a God of justice who makes everything that is crooked straight and that He watches over you and that He will punish those who commit those sins and people who are abusive. And He he also takes care of the weak and the wronged and the defenseless. We talked about this last week. God has a profound concern and care for those In need for those who don't have the privilege that many of us have and God always comes through for those people Deuteronomy 10 tells us for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of Lords the great the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe listen to verse 18 he executes justice for the fatherless And the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing God is our defender God is the defender of the weak and we see again his heart of this for these people and he has a special care for people who need protection and that applies to the victim of abuse he commands us to do the same as his church do not rob the poor because he's poor or crush afflicted at the gate. Listen to this. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. God will intervene on behalf of those who have been abused, on behalf of those who are vulnerable, of the, on behalf of those who have been wronged. And through his church, God brings justice to this world as well. And as Christians today, we are to raise our voice against abuse, plead the case of the needy as well, inside and outside of a church. Because our God who is just also demands justice. Peruvian theologian Samuel Escobar says, Yahweh is presented as the one who brings justice. All of these disadvantaged members of society have the right to cry out to him about their individual or social situation. And Yahweh will answer and will respond to their plight with justice. Salvation is not merely something that has to do with the future, nor is something strictly spiritual. The salvation of Yahweh that brings justice is palpable, immediate, and integral. Our God is a God of justice who will defend the cause of the disadvantaged, And he hates and punishes abusive leaders. And I believe that we need to be reminded of this. I believe that some of us are very distant from a lot of the things I'm talking about. Especially maybe outside of, of the church. And one of the reasons why I bring so many... Different Latin American theologians is because when I read these people, this is the waters they navigate, this is the waters they swim in. They live in places where abuse is their daily bread. And I just want to remind all of us this morning most of the world is poor, most of the world do not have close to the privileges we have as a church or as a nation we are in a position to help others and we need to know that we have a God that has a special care and a special heart for those who don't have the things we do have and that the fact that we have the things we have is not just for us to enjoy or feel better about ourselves or feel better about others God has always blessed people to be a blessing to others God has always provided for others so that those people will in turn provide for the rest. I'm not talking about socialism, I'm talking about Christianism. And we need to be agents of justice in our city and around the world. And I'm I'm not rebuking you, I'm just reminding you. That's the reason why we invest so much money in church planting. We don't, we don't just want to send a few people to do a few weeks of labor and then come back. No. We want to make sure that wherever we invest, we plant a church that will be an agent of justice in that place. And we fund that place. Because we have been blessed. Because we have a God who is just. Who demands justice. Who has a special care for the people who don't have what we have. He's not only a God of justice, He's also a God of mercy, a God who sends us, a God who sent His only Son to be the only leader who will never fail us. God provides us with His only Son, Jesus Christ, to meet the demands of justice that our sin needed to to fulfill. God demands that whatever we have made crooked must be made right. God demands that the penalty for our sin be paid. And God achieves that through His Son, Jesus Christ. We as humans couldn't do it on our own. We are all guilty of sin. When we hear sermons like this, we tend to identify with the victim and, and, and maybe in a way we are. But the reality is that the church, the, the, the Bible, not, don't allow that from us. The Bible always places us on the same side of the oppressor as well, because we are all sinners. You and I have all wronged somebody at some point. We are all are guilty of breaking God's commands. We are all guilty of not exercising our authority or our privilege in the right way. We all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve the full payment of our rebellion against our creator. And even though we were the ones who wronged God and our neighbor, God brings justice to bear through the sacrifice of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and takes our blame. He pays for our sins on the cross in order to make our relationship that was crooked and broken straight and restores it. He reconciles us to the Father. And this is the good news of the Gospel. And this is the good news that is available to anyone who believes and repents. These news are available to the victim and the oppressor and abuser. These are the great news of the gospel for everyone who believes. So today, if you're not a Christian, it does not matter where you fall. If you have been abused or if you are the abuser, if you have been wronged, or if you are someone who is in authority and do not do things right, it does not matter. God welcomes every sinner everywhere. And His Son, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to die in our place to bring us back to the Father. And I want to finish with this. An amazing realization in this chapter of Micah is that in Jesus Christ, we have not only been given a savior, In Jesus Christ, we have found the best king, the best prophet, and the best priest ever. In fact, the perfect king, the perfect prophet, and the perfect priest. Jesus fulfills perfectly and gracefully each office mentioned in this text. In Jesus, we have the perfect king who rules and cares for his people with love. Jesus is a king whose kingdom truly brings justice to his people and establishes his kingdom on this earth a kingdom of love a king, a kingdom of peace a kingdom of grace joy and justice we have in Jesus not only a savior but a perfect king who loves us In Jesus, we not only have a Savior, we also have the perfect prophet who not only speaks the Word of God to us, but the perfect prophet who becomes the very Word of God incarnate for us. And the perfect prophet who not only teaches us to live rightly before God, but the prophet who lives the perfect life in our place. And then we are given his perfection before God. And in Jesus, we finally have the perfect priest who mediates for us and reconciles us to God. We have the perfect priest that mediates his life, gives his life as a sacrifice once and for all. He forgives our sin forever. We no longer need to to sacrifice animals. God sent his son as a perfect lamb to atone for our sins once and for all. He not only mediates through his sacrifice, he now intercedes before us. He's seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us. And he now gives us eternal life and will take us to a perfect kingdom of justice. And we just learned about this in Revelation 21. God promises us through Jesus a place with no tears in Revelation 21, a place where there's no death, no mourning, no pain, and no suffering. And this is great news for both the victim and the abuser. Jesus is the greatest And the perfect king, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest who will never fail us. And in him, we now have hope for injustice. Maybe you have been wronged by the church or by somebody and God watches it and he will defend it. But you can place your faith and your hope in Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never fail us. Unfortunately, us as pastors, we will fail you. I can guarantee that we will fail you. I can guarantee that we will do things that you will not like, and we'll probably say things that you will not like, or maybe we will hurt you. I don't know what we will do. I hope I don't, but I'm a human. And that's why we have a perfect shepherd. That's why we have a perfect priest, a perfect king. And our hope is in him. He will forever make whatever is crooked straight in the end. And he's already doing it now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your justice. We thank you because you are a good God. you care for us every day. Lord I pray that we would understand if we have been wrong that we have a God who sees and who is with us and who would impart justice if we have been victims of abuse or oppression or discrimination We are not alone. We are not left to our own means. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that we would, as a church, place our hope and our eyes on you, the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet who gave his own life for us. Thank you, Jesus. And as we take communion, I pray that we would be reminded of that very truth truth of the gospel. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.